Okay, so we're going to start today in, in Genesis 11. Um, where we're at right now in this series that I'm doing on Pentecost, Pentecost Sunday, or not Pentecost Sunday, but the Feast of Pentecost, um, what was what what was happening? And, and I've been working on this for a while. I've already laid a lot of foundation. I, I you know, I hope it's making sense to you. Today, uh, I'm going to be bringing some new things into this discussion. Um, and from here on out, and I, I trust I'm going to be able to do this. And, and if it's not working, please, by all means, ask me questions or whatever, because I don't, my goal is not to confuse or uh, to talk above. My, my goal is to, to hopefully stir up some foundations that are already in us and begin to see some things at a deeper level than what we've seen. Almost everything I'm going to be talking about probably is not a mystery to any of us, but I don't know that we've and then I'm definitely speaking for myself here, I haven't always connected some of the things I'm going to be talking about today with the Feast of Pentecost and the coming of the Holy Spirit during that feast period. But there's, it didn't just happen. Pentecost, Jesus didn't say, hang around Jerusalem until the Feast of Pentecost has come just because you got to keep it on track with the feast days. There's something much deeper that was going on and was happening through that, through all that took place. And as I already said, you know, Jesus came, we've, we've walked through already, you know, God in the flesh, John 1, 1, the word became flesh. He dwelled among us. The point of him becoming flesh, what was he accomplishing? For finally, the battle was set. And as I've quoted N.T. Wright many times on this, uh, but the revolution had begun. The time of waiting was over. And Yahweh was now stepping onto planet Earth to set right the things that had been lost and broken through humanity's march from the garden to that particular point of the word becoming flesh. Because finally... God was not going to come alongside humanity and kind of be there and give humanity the charge of dealing with the cosmic powers. Finally, God says, no, I'm coming in the flesh, and I once and for all will confront and defeat the cosmic powers. Because what man couldn't do, I'm going to do. So we have that, the, the opening the opening battle, which of course looks like it's a defeat, Jesus is crucified and he's murdered by those that have you know, no interest in his message and actually see it against them and dislodging them. You know, so it, it appears to be a defeat, but then we three days later we have the resurrection. The resurrection changes everything. Jesus is no longer just a human martyr that died, somebody that... The powers that be had taken advantage because they could, because they were stronger and bigger, and they just killed him, and that was the end of it. All of a sudden, the grave let go of death, and resurrection comes. And in the resurrection, everything changes. Then we go through the ascension, and again, 
there's a further change, and then we come to the day of Pentecost. But when we get to the day of Pentecost, and what I want to lay today is there were things that were in this battle that is taking place. There were things that had been present in humanity from Adam and Eve all the way up. And today we're going to be looking at the Tower of Babel briefly. But there's, so there's a couple, for me, there's a couple things I just want to lay out as um, my understanding of Scripture. One, Scripture from Genesis to Revelation is primarily earth-centric. The Bible is not defining everything that exists everywhere. It, it, it will bring certain pieces in, but even when they're brought in, they're brought in in their relevance to the earth. What is God doing in the earth? Yahweh's plan has always been that all the earth would be filled with his glory. All the earth, all humanity would be declaring him as Lord and being part of his plan for his glory to fill the earth, that, that he's never changed his mind. Humanity lost track of that many times. God's never lost track of it. So the scripture is primarily earth-centric. Another thing, when we look at the scriptures, um, both Old Testament and New Testament, it oftentimes will talk about, you know, it'll use the world, it'll use the term of the world, go into all the world and preach the gospel. When, when the scriptures declare that, when the writers of the scriptures wrote that, they were not thinking about China, South America, you know, the Pacific Islands, whatever. The world at that time was the world they lived in. Old Testament, the, the concept of world was as far as I could see. That's the, you know, was, where's the end of the world? Well, kind of where I, just beyond what I can see is the end of the world. New Testament, the writers primarily, when they, when they wrote about, you know, go into all the world and preach the gospel. <clears throat> the world at that time, in that area, was viewed as the Roman Empire and just a little bit beyond that. That was their world. That was their whole world. That involved Their whole life revolved around the world as we know it, right? So there are those that kind of take the scripture and try to make, make it say things that are way beyond its intent. Um, so again, so my, from my view, when I'm, when I'm teaching, when I'm reading, those are some of the, uh, the parameters that, you know, I view scripture through. And, and the reason why I'm saying that is because as we move forward, these definitions will, will come up. So, uh, so, uh, Rodney, if you got those maps, I got three maps, and you're not really going to be able to see them clear, and I knew that going in. If, if you actually want a copy of these, I'll be more than glad to give it to you. But before we get into Genesis um, 11, prior to that, we had the flood, and now we have, you know, they're out of the ark. We have Noah, we have his sons, Japheth, Shem, and Ham, and the, you know, the Mar, uh, you can't really see on there, but Mount Ararat is kind of up where, um, 
uh, no point in me, but Asher is kind of in the area where Arafat was. So God gives them an assignment when they get off the ark, and the, and the assignment was to go into all the world. That was what they were supposed to do. The problem is they and their generations, they settled in a land. I need a pointer, but I don't have one. They, uh, they settled in the land of around Shinar, which is in the Mesopotamian area. That'll work. I'll just use this in and hold that in. I'm not going to spend a lot of time here, but Shinar is in this area here. You got the Euphrates, the Tigris. This is the Mesopotamian Valley area. And so they all settled in Shinar. And God did not tell them to settle in Shinar. He told them to go into all the earth. Out of that, while they settled there, a person by the name of Nimrod, Nimrod is born, and he's a, a leader, and he's also um, not uh, a friend of Yahweh. And so out of that, they ev eventually they be begin to get, build the Tower of Babel. Um, so... But that's kind of how the, the, the generations of Noah inhabited that area. And you can put up the next one. So this one's probably even harder to see. But what, what I want, the, the main thing I want, to, want you to see here, here's Shinar, which I was pointing to before. This is the Mesopotamian Valley. And the nations that we're going to just look at, uh, they center from Elam, which is over here, all the way over to Tarshish, which is present-day Spain here. And so, um, and the, the final one I'll wait on, Rodney. Um, so what I want us to see is we have the... The ark empties, Noah, his, his sons, wives, and now generations begin to, to go out. They were commanded to go into all the world. Shinar was a great place. I mean, it was the Euphrates River Valley. I mean, it's lush. I mean, why leave there and head into a desert area? So they all hung out there. Um, and, and you know from history, I mean, that is a cradle of civilization. There's a lot of different... Uh, uh, civilizations that have existed in that area. Um, so we get to this place where they begin to build Babel. And so that's where we're going to pick up in Genesis 11, starting with verse 3. <clears throat> and they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and, and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed from the face of the whole earth. They knew what they were supposed to be doing, and they purposely said, we ain't doing it. 
And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower and the children of the man had the children of man had built. And the Lord said, "Behold, they are one people and they have one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible to them. Come, let us go down and there confuse the language, so they may not understand one another's speech." So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of the earth, and they left off building the city. Um, so this is the there's two there's two narratives of this. Genesis 11 is the first narrative. We're going to look at Deuteronomy in a minute. Um, they're of one language. They've settled in one area. Nimrod is the the leader of that group of people, and in that time, Nimrod was not a friend of Yahweh's. And so we have idolatry that was that was starting to build again. There's a lot. Um, I'll weave some of this in the weeks ahead. I don't want to go down a rabbit trail that will take up multiple weeks to get off of. Um, and some of it, if you want to talk to me further, we can talk afterwards. But there's. Um, it says, come, let us, let us go down there and confuse their language. This verbiage is very similar to the verbiage of Genesis 1. Come, let us make man in our, in our image, in the likeness of man. Um, we have a plurality of a council, but, but God singular, Yahweh singular, actually creating. And here we have... Again, a plurality of voices, come let us, you know, let's do something. What's the plan? And we'll look at it in a minute. We have Yahweh singular actually dispersing them. So there's two, two different things. Uh, the other thing we, we sang about today, which I thought it was fun, but the word Elohim when appears in the Old Testament and, and some in the New Testament. The word Elohim is, I forget how many times, but it's a lot through the scriptures. It doesn't always mean Yahweh, Lord God. It can also mean just gods, lesser, lesser created beings. It can also get used to reference man, people in power as Elohim. So it's not, it's not an absolute word that every time you see it, you know exactly what it means. When you see it, you have to figure out what it means. Who's it re re referencing? So, um, when, so the Lord disperses them. So turn over to Deuteronomy 32 or just watch the screen. Deuteronomy 32. This is the second telling of Genesis that we just read. When the Most High God gave the nations their inheritance, when he divided mankind, now, again, when the Most High, this wasn't a, a plurality of, of Elohim that was doing this. This is the Most High. This is Yahweh. When the Most High gave to the nations their inheritance, when he divided mankind, he fixed the borders of the peoples according to the number of the sons of God. Bene Elohim sons of God. It doesn't tell us who that is exactly, because we can't use the word Elohim to, to fit without looking a little further. 
according to the number of the sons of God. But the Lord's portion is his people, Jacob, his allotted heritage. So Moses, in giving the history, says there was a time when God divided the nations and gave them their inheritance. And he did it according to the number of the sons of God. That becomes really important. What is that number? The, the first map that I showed you, that was where, you know, the, the generations of Noah spread out. But then we have this division, and the, when you look at the full list of the nations, there's 70. So there's 70 na nations that are uh, divided by the number of the sons of God. So there's 70 sons of God. Now, what are they? As I said, I don't, that's a rabbit trail that would take weeks to kind of go through that. You're welcome to join us for the Gaffa call. That's what we're actually talking about right now. I could explain it better there. Um, or you could at least be in the discussions of our disagreements about it. Because <laughs> they're fun too. Um, but anyway, so there, it, it appears that the number of the sons of God is 70 because the nations that were divided out, there are 70 nations or people groups. I, not nations is the wrong word, but 70 people groups that had some type of uh, government around them. Um, but the Lord's portion is his people, Jacob, his allotted heritage. From this point, from this division on, the problem that, goes, that will now run through the whole Old Testament and will culminate in the New Testament is the battle between Mount Zion, which God says, that's my portion. I'm giving, I'm giving 70 of you all this, but this right here, this portion, this is mine. I'm going to do something in this portion different because that's my inheritance. Well, that's or inheritance. That's Mount Zion. And again, I'll be talking about this a little bit more in weeks ahead, but the, the battle throughout the rest of the Old Testament is between Mount Zion and Mount Bashan. And that battle goes on all the way through and culminates in the New Testament and culminates around the uh, one in the uh, crucifixion, when uh, Psalms 22, at one point in, in the, the lament that Messiah gives, he says, I am surrounded by the bulls of Bashan, and they're having their way with me. My hands and my feet are being trampled by them. Now, in some translations, that gets translated, hands and feet, to being pierced. That's not what the Septuagint says, and that's not really the correct translation. It's, it doesn't mention piercing. It does say that the bulls of Bashan have trampled my hands and my feet. So there was a cosmic battle that was taking place, culminating at, 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 at the, with the coming of Messiah and his death, his resurrection, and his ascension. So verse 8, the Lord Jehovah disperses people. We're talking about one God that does this, but it seems to be there's a council of people, not people, but a council of beings that are in that discussion. We also know that, the, that once the nations are divided, 
that those that are in charge of those nations don't do well. Um, Psalms 82, there's a point where God pulls the council together and actually gives them a good tongue lashing for being corrupt. You were given an assignment to bring righteousness in my kingdom on the earth, and you've become corrupt. You've, you've lost, you, you don't take care of the widow. You don't take care of the poor. He gives a list of things they've not done. Now, again, the Bible does not tell us when that happened. It doesn't tell us why it happened. We just know that at one point, these beings were given charge over regions, and at some point, that became corrupted. Now, there's some other things that maybe some of you are already thinking, uh, the Nephilim and so forth. Yes, that all ties into it, and no, I'm not going to talk about it because it'll take forever to get out of it. <laughs> it's, not, it's not completely pertinent or germane to what I'm trying to say. Yes? The, um, the, the 70 comes out of um, writings from Mesopotamia and um, the Ugaric writings, and uh, I'd, have, I'd have to go back and check my brain on this one, but I think it's also mentioned in First Enoch, but that, that one I'm not positive on. But it, it's, it's, again, it's an extra-biblical history of the area. Um, okay. <laughs> well, you can question. You can, <laughs> you, you can, yeah. It's also interesting that the, again, parallels that you see, the, the 70 um, sons of God that were given these areas, um, the first time Jesus sends out the disciples, and I'm getting way ahead on my notes, so, but I'm going to say it because it's right there and I want to say it. I have the mic. Um, the first time Jesus sends the disciples out, he sends out the 12. And he tells them to go out, and they come back, and they're excited about what happened. From a, a, a symbolic way, the first time he sends the disciples out, he sends them to the 12, you know, to the 12 tribes. He sends 12 out, 12 go out, they do their thing, they come back. The next time he sends out disciples, he sends out 70. And again, what's the, the symbolism behind that? They too go out and they too do exploits. They too come back excited with what they're seeing and they're witnessing. Um, God, has, God has never lost or changed his mind about the salvation of the nations. Now, there are enemies within a nation, but the enemies are primarily the, the unseen and those that, are under, that have given their hearts so much to the, unflu the influence of the unseen that they've made themselves enemies of God. But the, God's plan is to bring the nations in. And so, as he sends out 12, as he sends out the 70, uh, there, it's always with the idea of the nations, and we'll be looking about this just a little deeper here in a minute. One of the things, and I don't know if this is still around, I don't hear much of it anymore. It, it, it never really sat well with me, and now it just, I don't, I, I don't, it doesn't sit well at all with me. Um, 
there was a, a time, maybe 10 years ago, 15 years ago, I'd lose track. You know, there's always these, these cool ideas that float through the body of Christ. And we all keep repeating it without looking at the source, and we all get excited about it because we've been repeating it, and we all start doing it, and nobody stands up and goes, why are we doing this? And then, of course, we don't like it when you do that <laughs> because then the emperor has no clothes on and now we're standing naked or naked. <laughs> but the, the, the idea that floated around for a while was on the earth, there's goat nations and sheep nations. I find that nowhere in scripture, over and over and over again, God goes after the nations. Even nations that he's cut off, he's bringing them back. He's prophesying to Egypt. He prophesies into, you know, the other nations. He sends, as I said a couple weeks ago, he sends Jonah to Nineveh. God is always after the nations. And this and the concept at the time that it was floating around was like, so the goat nations, God has cast off and they're just done. The sheep nations, God's still at work. Well, he's at work at all, in all the nations. That's why he told us, go into all the world and preach the gospel, the good news, to every tribe, every tongue, every kindred. He's for everybody. Now, how I handle that, well, that's my own personal, you know, thing to have to work out with God. But anyway, I just... I haven't heard it lately, and I'm glad maybe it finally just died and went away. <laughs> so back to uh, back to uh, uh, De you know, Deuteronomy 32. So also in Daniel, well, first, so that it says that they quit working on the tower. So the tower wasn't destroyed; they left it. And in some, I've, I've read a couple archaeological reports. I mean, they're pretty sure they know exactly where the tower is and the foundations are still there. It's not gone away. And um, they just abandoned, they quit working on it. We know later in, um, in uh, Daniel 1, verse 2, the Lord gave Jehoi Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. This is Nebuchadnezzar with some of the vessels of the house of God, and he, Nebuchadnezzar, brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed vessels in the treasury of his God. We know that Nebuchadnezzar, before, well, that he went back and reopened uh, the site of Babel, and that was the site of their worship to their gods. He, you know, he, he ultimately built his city further up, but he, he came back to the land of Shinar, and here in Daniel is where he's actually bringing uh, the, the spoils of war to his God. Everybody okay so far? Okay. I, um, I'm sorry. I'm, I just love history in that, and so then you're just going to have to love it too. So, the host of heaven. This is another... Another uh, expression that we see throughout the scriptures, the host of heaven, the host are their angels, their spirit beings, their Elohim. It, they can be 
a lot of different things. Again, it's when we hear it, you can't just assume it's talking about this or talking about that. You've got to dig into the text and figure out in this particular place, what is the host of heaven? Because the host of heaven can be, and we'll look at this in a moment, they can be around the throne of God. But the host of heaven doesn't mean they're around the throne of God. They can be light or dark. They can be enemies or they can be of God's, of God's side. So in Deuteronomy 4, 19 and 20, and beware lest you raise your eyes to heaven. This is the warning being given to the, to the Israelites. Beware lest you raise your eyes to heaven when you see the sun, the moon, the stars, and all the hosts of heaven. You be drawn away and bow down to them and serve them. Things that the Lord your God has allotted to all the peoples under the whole heaven. But the Lord has taken you and brought you out of the iron furnace, out of Egypt, to be a people of his own inheritance. So he, Moses gives them this warning. He says, look, you need to be, be aware of what's out there. Where you turn your heart is going to have consequences. You know what God has told us, that he's inviting us into this relationship, but also know that there are things, whether it be the, the, the study of the stars and how, you, how that's being used in that time, whether it's that, or whether it's, you know, all the host of heaven. Just because you know, like Paul said, you know, or Satan can come as an angel of light. We, just because something is supernatural doesn't automatically mean it's from God. It just means it's supernatural. So like everything else, I have to figure it out. I have to discern, and we'll get into that when we get into the gifts of the Spirit. But I can't just assume that because something is supernatural, it's correct. Yep. So here... Moses is saying, you know, be aware that in all the host of heaven, don't bow down and worship. There's only one that's, that's entitled to worship, and that's the Lord Most High, El Elyon, Yahweh. He is the only one that we worship. Just because messengers of his come, what, and however they come, that's not a place for me to worship. That's not a place for me to turn my heart. Deuteronomy 17.3. Um, and has gone and served other gods and worshiped them or the sun or the moon or any of the host of heaven, which I have forbidden. So again, it's just another place where the host of heaven is listed, but it's also you're forbidden to align with that host of heaven to bring yourself to a place of worship. First Kings twenty two nineteen, And that guy said, therefore, hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne and all the host of heaven standing beside him on his right hand and his left. In this case, the host of heaven are the angels of light or the beings of light. They're around the throne. They're there. You know, so we have to, us earthlings have to sort through, is it, what is the host of heaven at this point? Now, again, let me also qualify, as we look at this Old Testament, they had, to, they had to sort this out through, through what they knew, what they experienced, through what the prophets were saying. We, New Testament, have the Spirit of Christ in us. We have the Holy Spirit in us. We're, we should be able to discern these things um, quicker 
and understand the ramifications better than these folks. They're, they're at the beginning of this learning curve. We're much further in and should be doing better. So, Yahweh in Christ battles with the nation's rulers through the crucifixion, the resurrection, and the ascension. The coming of the Spirit spoken by Jesus was the next step in Yahweh's plan to redeem the nations. As I've already said, this has always been Yahweh's plan uh, to redeem all the nations. And I already mentioned, oh good, my notes aren't up there, so you don't, you don't know what I'm looking at. So turn over to John 14, verse 26. So now we're, we're coming into what actually was happening at the day of Pentecost. Why was this, what was it about this event? And Jesus says to, to the disciples, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. And John 15, 26. But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness to me. Again, we're, we're, we're being given the, the, the insight into the Trinity, into how the triune God functions. Jesus was man and Jehovah, but not fully Jehovah, because he's the Son, you know, so there's the interaction between the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And they, they complement each other. They each are distinct from each other. They are also one person or uh, one being. And so here Jesus is saying, showing how, you know, the helper is going to come. But the Father is the one that's sending the helper. But he's also sending the helper in my name. The reason the helper is coming is because my name has been established on the earth. The helper now comes through my name. So when the helper shows up, my name is being exalted. Well, that puts us miles ahead in trying to discern what the heck's going on in the unseen realm or in the seen realm. Is this, is this God? Is this not God? Well, I, the helper has been given, and when the helper comes, he's going to reveal. And so one of, the, one of the main tests that any of us can always look at is, is this lifting Jesus up or is this lifting something else up? If Jesus isn't being exalted, I need to question something. I don't care how supernatural it acts. It is, right? Luke 24, 49. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. So the Holy Spirit comes, and he's now going to in, in, infuse power anoint us with power. He's going to live in us. And one of the main things that he's do, that's going to come out of that is that when we do battle, we do battle not the way the world does battle. We're in the world, we're not of the world. If I pull on the world's tactics to do battle, now I'm of the world. Because the, the tactics of the kingdom are love. The tactics of the kingdom are sacrifice. The, cat, the, the tactics of the kingdom are laying our lives down for one another. The, the fruit of the Spirit, those are the tactics of the kingdom. And the minute my heart begins, you know, to, to move in another direction, 
then I have to question, where's my heart going? What, what tools am I pulling from? Am I pulling from the, the power of the Holy Spirit? Or am I instead using something else? Am I, you know, am I pulling from the power of anger? Am I pulling from the, you know, the, the power of, of the offense? Whereas Amanda said so well last week, am I pulling from the, the power of the idol, whatever the idol is? Or am I walking this thing out, Jesus in me, the hope of glory, and when the Spirit speaks, what's he do? He reveals Jesus at ever, ever deeper levels for me. He reveals, reveals the Father at every deep, ever deepening levels because he's leading me in truth. He's leading me to understand, to see, to, to, to walk in wisdom. And if we're going to be, um, if we're going to fully walk as sons, as daughters of God, the way we do that is by the power of the Holy Spirit working in us. Even in that, the minute I step over and start, well, I can do this, I can do that, I'll do this, and I'll, you know, I start being I, 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 yeah. I've stepped away from the power of the Most High. Yeah. And you say, well, you can do it if you want. I'm just telling you the outcome doesn't go well. Right. And you're like, you know, and, and I'm like the little kid telling my mom, let go of my hand. I can do it. Just let go of my hand. And she's like, I think you better just keep hold of my hand, you know. And then I tear away and go running because I'm going to do it myself. You know, and later she comes and cleans me up after I've not done it so well myself. So God's the same way. See, I'm not going to violate your free will, but I am going to instruct you in my ways. And, and I can say, after now walk with, with the Lord over 50 years, I, I have really come to realize that, and I hate to tell you that it took most of those 50 years, but um, just doing it his way is the best every time. I've never seen a time where I did it his way that I went, I ain't doing that again. I can point to the times where I've done it my way and I'm like, ain't doing that again. You know, I've got a knot on three sides of my head right now. I'm not doing it that way again. Uh, uh, Acts 16. And they went through the region of Phygeria, Phygeia, and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. I just find this as an interesting verse. First, he says, the Spirit of, um, uh, the Spirit of Christ, wait a minute, where am I? I'm in the wrong verse. That's why I find it. Um, that they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And later, it was the spirit of Jesus that, that, that didn't allow him. It was the same spirit. But here, they saw it both ways. And, and what do we do? I mean, what have we learned in Sozo? There's times, you know, I'll say, well, you know, you know, when Jesus, during my Sozo, Jesus came to me and he said this or did that or did the other. Well, I can also could say, well, God came and not distinguish at all. But how do I even know to distinguish? Because I know 
with both the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, when they come and when they speak with me, their voice is different each, well, most times. Sometimes I, I, there are times I don't know, and there's a lot of times I don't care. I just know God spoke, and that's good enough, and you said it, I'm going to try to do it. But they do have distinct voice. Uh, Romans 8, 9. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if the Spirit is in you, although, excuse me, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. And finally, in Philippians 1.19, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. So the writers of the New Testament intermingle, whether it was Holy Spirit speaking, the Spirit of Jesus speaking, they go back and forth, and that's not a contradiction. It just is. It, that's what's at work in us. Um, Okay, so I don't want to go down that road. <laughs> so the gathering of the cast-off nations. So now comes in. Now we come into Pentecost. So these na the nations were cast off. Um, the they, the, the uh, whatever the the spirit beings that were the that were the sons of God that were given the 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 the. the the oversight of these regions, they became corrupted. And as I said, we don't, the scriptures do not say how that happened or why that happened. It just happened. And then God began to deal with it. So let's look at Acts 2, 9 to 11. This is on the day of Pentecost. And of course, they, they, we're going to go into this in more depth the next time I share, but for now, I just want to focus on this thing of the nations. Uh, so Acts 2, 9 to 11. Tongues has come, and, and Luke makes a very specific point to say what people heard. The Parthians and Medes, the Elamites, the residents of Mesopotamia, Mesopotamia Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phygeria, um, Pamphylia, Egypt, and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Armenians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. I just find this absolutely fascinating. And uh, if you want to flip up the last map, so this map is at the time of, of Pentecost, the time of Jesus, where everything was. And when you look at the list I just read, it actually starts over here in the west, or in the east, and it talks about them hearing their languages, and it, it moves all the way across to finally, um, on this map you can't see it, but the, the area of Tarsus, which is Spain. And then when it gets to the Mediterranean, it it divides and it comes down and these this people group was included and it goes north 
this people group was included. And at the time that they, uh, according to 1 Maccabees, there were Jews that were living in uh, Parthia. And so it starts at the most, the, the most easterly side of the world as they know it, and the gospel goes out, but it starts on the day of Pentecost. It's like the fact that these languages were heard is not arbitrary. God was very specific. The nations that had been cast off to begin with now are hearing the gospel in their language, and the people that are there are hearing it, and they're taking the good news back because they were in Jerusalem for the feast. They're all leaving and going home. And they're all saying, you won't believe what happened in Jerusalem this year. And the gospel is being, because God is for all the nations. Even those that, have, that were cast off, he brings back. Look at the number of prophecies in the Old Testament where God speaks a judgment on a nation and then later restores that nation. You know, his judgment may last for a day, but his mercy you know, is forever. So the, the regions listed, you know, at the furthest west, as I said, the Parthians, First uh, Maccabees 15, 15 to 22, talks about the Jewish community that lived there. The Medes in the region where the ten tribes were de, uh, deported by the Assyrians in Second King, Second Kings 17, 6. You know, the list, as I said, it splits at the Mediterranean going south and going north. It includes the islands of Crete. Paul evangelized these areas in Titus 1.5 and Galatians 1.15 through 17. The gospel went down the Nile River to Ethiopia in Acts 8.26 and 40. The gospel bore fruit in Cyrene in Acts 11.20. We know that historically the gospel was carried back to Rome and churches started long before Paul ever arrived in Rome. Actually, it was his meeting with Priscilla and Aquila, and they told him what was going on after they had been kicked out of Rome because the emperor, Nero, had said, I don't want any Jews in this city. So he banished all the Jews from Rome. And they were in um, Corinth. Paul happens to be in Corinth. Corinth runs into these two, Priscilla and Aquila. They get talking, and they're telling him about the church, churches in Rome. So Paul's like, well, I got to go. I mean, if there's churches in Rome, I got to go. So, you know, as soon as he can, he takes off. And then finally, Paul ultimately makes his way to Tarshish in Acts 15, 28, completing the gospel going to the nations of Deuteronomy 8 and 9. Paul was, had not been to Tarshish, was in prison. They let him out for a while. When he got out, he hightailed it to Tarshish. Why? Because he knew this. This, this wasn't just some accident. This was ingrained in them. To be a Jew of that day, you knew this historically. You knew how the nations had been divided. You knew why Zion was, was the pick, why God had chosen Zion. These were not mystery things to you. And so for the, for the disciples, all of a sudden, they now understand that, you know, they've just lived through Jesus, the Word becoming flesh, 
being murdered by the powers that be, being resurrected by the Father, ascending and saying to them, wait here until the full promise of the Holy Spirit that I've spoken to you comes, and now they're at a place where it has come. Man, this is not rocket science. They were like, this is it. This is it. It was enough to compel them to devote the rest of their lives to go and to preach and to share the good news that Messiah has come. This isn't just this Jewish idea. No, because now Paul, you know, understands, okay, it starts on, on the, within the Jewish community, but it spreads to the Gentiles because of the promises to the Gentiles as well. And Paul understood that. And he made it his point to go that the Gentiles would hear the good news because all the nations are supposed to be filled with the glory of God. Finally, in, in, well, it's not finally, but in Isaiah 66, 19, and I will set a, a sign among them, and from them I will send survivors to the nations, to Tarshish, to Pol, to Lud, who draw the bow, to Tubal and Javan, to the coastlands far away that have not heard my that have not heard my fame or seen my glory they shall declare my glory to among the nations i'm sending them i'm sending them to the nations and paul knew as did the others this is who we are now you know, being a new creation wasn't just, oh, that's kind of a cool thing. I'm a new creation. No, being a new creation, I am an image bearer of Christ. I am filled with the Holy Spirit. I have been endowed with the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and I've given, been given an assignment as an imager of Christ to make sure that I share Jesus and let people know that he is the, that he is the Lord, that he is, that he is the Messiah. Ephesians 6.12 it's the final piece, and this we'll be spending some more time on this later, but we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. It's not flesh and blood, it's not the person standing next to me that is the problem. The powers of darkness are being dislodged. They were defeated at Calvary and through the resurrection. The assignment has come to us, but the assignment is to walk out the de and demonstrate the defeat that they are, that they're experiencing, that the kingdom of God comes. Every time light comes in and darkness is dispelled, the kingdom advances. Every time somebody says, I, I, you know, I think I accept Jesus as my savior. The power, the power of darkness is being broken. Um, there's, there's a lot of things in the, in the unseen realm that, you know, some of it's speculation, some of it we have some, some uh, I, I feel some solid ground on. But regardless, we don't, we wrestle against that. We wrestle against the powers of darkness that control the minds and the hearts of people. And I have to acknowledge and actually, I think we all should have to acknowledge, or we should acknowledge anyway, that as a human being in the, and through the fall, I have a propensity to yield to the voice of darkness. I have a propensity to move towards idolatry. 
I have a pro propensity to, to, to be infatuated with things of darkness. Now, just because I have a propensity towards something doesn't mean I do it. It just means it'll tantalize me. It'll draw, it'll draw me away. I'll get thinking about that. And I'll spend way too much time thinking about that. But it doesn't mean I subject myself to it. And if I'm a believer, I definitely shouldn't subject myself to it. Because the things that we're battling, you know, they're, they're, it's not the seen realm, it's the unseen realm, it's the influence of the unseen realm. It's the, the and um, because of the way humanity functions, it doesn't even really take a whole lot of corrupt beings in the unseen realm to raise havoc on the earth. They, I mean, they don't, you know, I, I, I probably have done it at some point, um, but it's, it's really a goofy thing when you think about it. When, you know, you'll talk to somebody, well, how's your day going? Oh, man, the devil's been giving it to me today. Really? Oh, man, from the time I got up, man, the devil's been just beating on me all day. Well, thank you. Because if he's whooping on you, I'm kind of good today. You know, it's like that's not how it works. It's not like there's a, a being that just follows me around all day. It's the influence. It's my mind. It's getting once it once my heart becomes corrupted or or captivated by by the uh, the voices of darkness. I pretty much take that ball and run with it. Might even take it further than they even intended. Because I'll just keep mulling on it, thinking on it, rolling it around, fantasizing whatever whatever I'm going to do. So we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. But I do wrestle against the powers of the unseen realm, and I wrestle against those places where I align with those powers. So I need to be at a place where, you know, Lord Jesus, uh, that I would be free from that, that my mind would be free from vain imaginations, that the things that I become so easily corrupted by, that I would cast those things off and embrace you and your love, your life, your power, your throne. And with that, I'm done. Not too bad. Let's stand. <laughs> Lord, I thank you and worship you that on a certain day you said to the to the disciples that I will not leave you as orphans. But when I go, the Holy Spirit will come. And when he comes, he will lead you into all truth. Holy Spirit, thank you for coming. Thank you for dwelling in us. Thank you for being an active and present power on the earth today. 
Thank you that you come and establish grace and mercy. Lord, for each of us, may our minds and our hearts be freed from those thoughts that captivate us, that draw us into dark places, uh, that, that um, um, tantalize us with corrupt power and with, with the corruption of, of idolatry. Lord, may we see you and worship you as the true and the living God. You are the word that has become flesh. And you still dwell among us in the power and the presence of Holy Spirit. So, Spirit, somehow take what I've put out and, and integrate it into our hearts and into our minds. You do a really good job of covering me, so just make it all work when they leave. Um, but I thank you, Lord. I thank you for what you're demonstrating to us, for what you're showing us, that in this, uh, in this season, in this time of what's happening on the earth, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit, the, the varied offices and gifts of the Spirit are all necessary and play a part in what you're establishing on the earth. And so, Lord, we just declare your kingdom come and your will be done on the earth as it already is in heaven. Amen.